Welcome to Roadcase, the podcast that explores the live music experience. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Josh Rosenberg, and I'll be taking you on a journey through in-depth interviews with performers and key people in the industry to explore the magic of live music, how it can be totally transformative for both fans and performers, and we'll look at how they take it all out on the road. It's going to be a great ride, so here we go. Welcome back to Roadcase, everybody. This is your host, Josh Rosenberg. I am so psyched to be here for this episode uh, where I talk to Tyler Henry and Evan Winokur, who are both managing partners at Range Media Partners, a massive management company. I'm so psyched to have them here. If you're here for the first time to listen to me talk to Tyler and Evan, Welcome to the Roadcase community. If you are a returning listener, I'm so psyched that you're here for this one. Thanks for your support of Roadcase. There's a number of different ways that you can get involved in the Roadcase community that you may not know of. One really easy way is to follow us on social media. Our handle is at RoadcasePod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Really helps out the show if you give us a follow there. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, and concerns, you can email us. Our email is info at RoadcasePod.com, and you can find out more information about Roadcase by visiting our website at www.RoadcasePod.com. Uh, a great way to show your support for Roadcase really helps out the show. Uh, we're not asking for much, but if you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform, that's a huge help to this to this podcast. Um, for example, if you're on Spotify, that little box that says follow at the Roadcase homepage on Spotify, you just click that. If you're on Apple Podcasts, there's a check mark up in the upper right-hand corner. You just click that. By doing that on those two platforms and other platforms, you will receive updates when new episodes come live. And also, while you're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, if you can rate this podcast roadcase uh, that is really helpful for the show on Spotify back at that homepage that I just talked about. There's a little box with a star. You just click that one and on Apple Podcasts from the homepage, you just scroll down a little bit. There's a bunch of stars. Uh, click a couple of those and on Apple Podcasts, you can write a uh, review really helps out the show. And uh, thanks in advance for your support. You guys really glad that you're here. So I've got Tyler Henry and Evan Winokur here with Range Media Partners. We just had a nice little three-way chat. These guys are super-duper rock stars, not to mix metaphors, but Range Media Partners is a, is a really massive management company. They represent a ton of A-list celebrities, actors, comedians, uh, directors, uh, names like Amelia Clark, Bradley Cooper, Gabrielle Union, uh, Michael Fassbender, uh, tons of different artists. And these two guys are in the music division. Uh, Tyler Henry is just an absolute rock star. This guy was working with Party Next Door, a rapper, when he was, um, when Tyler was only 21 years old at USC, began to manage Party Next Door. And just one thing led to another and absolutely snowballed. And this guy is just an amazing dude. And Evan, same, except he was was a musician. He was in Hello Goodbye. He was also in Steel Train with Jack Antonoff. Comes at things from a little different angle. And it's really interesting to have these two dudes on the show. Uh, they they represent uh, such a diverse um, 
array of artists in different genres uh, from rap to hip hop to rock to R&B. Um, and we talk a lot about the fan experience and what that means and what it means to get artists out in front of fans and how challenging it is today. And it's really interesting to talk to these two uh, individuals who are managing partners at this at Range Media Partners, this massive management firm, um, which was uh, just founded about 18 months ago, actually. So it's pretty new. These guys are fresh and exciting. And to see all the similarities across all these different genres in terms of live music and what that means for everybody is just super interesting, especially in these really, really challenging times. But um, it's a great conversation, super fun. I learned a lot about what these guys do. I learned about what it means to be uh, a music manager and manager of talent and what that really takes. And uh, these guys are bright, intelligent, smart, uh, funny, affable, just really great guests. And it was really fun to do a uh, uh, three-way interview uh, that's is, uh, with two people, uh, including me. Uh, and they're just really good guys. So uh, thanks again for being here for this episode of Roadcase. I'm really psyched that you're here. And I want to send a special thank you to Tyler Henry and Evan Winokur of Range Media Partners for being here on this episode of Roadcase. And here we go. Okay, Tyler, Evan, great to see you guys. So happy to have you on Roadcase, man. How are you doing? Tyler, you're in some wonderful outdoor location with an amazing tree that I'm like totally envious of in my, as, I'm, as I'm in my cave in downtown Chicago. <laughs> yes, I'm actually waiting to renew my passport, so I'm near the airport. And Oh, um, oh I thought it was like, oh, I see customs in the background now. See in the oh, bottom right-hand corner? What the fuck? Customs job. and Border Control. I have been detained by the United States Immigration Service. I, I leave the country <laughs> Saturday, so this was... Oh, that's so funny. I to get my passport. It actually kind of looked like a cool sort of house sort of background. I'm gonna re- that's why I'm going to recrop it here. So we you just really strategically found an excellent spot. That is that that's yes. a good indication of like your creative thinking process. <laughs> yeah. uh, Evan, how are you doing, man? Good to see you. I love your I love everything you got in your little in your room there. We already talked about your love of golf, man. How are you doing? I'm good, brother. I'm chilling. I got my dog right here looking out the window at birds. My dog is named Henry. Not named after Tyler Henry, but <laughs> yeah. named after him. Yeah, was and Tyler was not named after your dog, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> um, wait, so you said, uh, uh, Evan, you're a golf fan, but you grew up in New York, so you must be loving playing golf in like January, February, just shooting pictures to all your friends. I, that might be the main reason why. I, live <laughs> yeah. I love it here. Yeah, I mean, you can't beat the seasons here. It's like seventy every quarter so we're feeling really good about golf whenever we can <laughs> yeah but, it has uh, its perks I, I forgot to mention to you that i grew up in la so i grew up in sherman oh, oaks yeah oh, cool yeah yeah Ev and i are both just on the valley side so super close oh, whereabouts uh, tell- up, or i say i'm in the hollywood lake and or lake hollywood um oh so just off barham and evan is uh Ev? in the hills right by there just oh, over cool. City, oh, yeah. To- yeah, totally familiar. Coenga Pass, you guys. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Right. You can walk to Hollywood. Can I park at your house next time I go to the Hollywood Bowl? Anytime you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so you guys are uh, range media people. Um, 
this is an amazing company. It's uh, just started up a couple years ago. Just sort of like uh, tell, talk to me a little bit about um, how this came to be with this, uh, this, this, this new company. You guys are covering some amazing artists already. And it's just, and you're doing so many amazing things. Uh, I'm, I'm so curious about it. Tyler, you want to take that one and just kind of bring me up to speed a little bit on what you're all about there? Yeah. So the company started, I think we're around 19 months the origin of the company uh-huh. and it primarily started in film and TV representation. Yeah. A lot of the top talent representatives across their field left previous agencies or companies they're working at to start something new, which we'll, we'll kind of dive into why and the culture of the company and everything. But mm. um, that was the origin of the company. And a couple months after the music department launched um, as the counterpart to the film and TV side of the company, um, Initially, our partners, Matt Graham and Jack Minahan, were the first at the door to really help with the early stages development of, of the music department. And then myself and Evan and a few other our partners came in probably a couple months after that. So we've been there since the company was, I'd say, about four months old. Yeah. Yeah. Evan, so you've been there like you started out right, right. You came on right when it began, essentially, as well. Yeah, we both came in at the same time. Um, yeah. that, Tyler, that would be the term I was looking for. Came in at the same mm-hmm. time. <laughs> yeah. Tyler said it really well. I feel like, like many things during the pandemic, it was kind of born out of necessity. You know, on the film and TV side, there was this writer's strike that was happening. And a lot of things had to change in the agency world over there. Mm-hmm. On the music side, you know, artists weren't touring as much. And there was clearly an opportunity for a bunch of us like-minded people um, to kind of get together and do something that we were really excited about. And like, yeah. I couldn't be prouder of what we're doing, the ecosystem, the culture, the ethos. It's it's really strong. And- yeah. Yeah. Go so ahead, one of the coolest parts is that so many, when I first was pitched the concept, I was like, there's no way this many people at this level of success are going to leave what they're doing or give up or t- give away a piece of what they've built their whole career and lives. I, I love the idea of it, but I was like, there's just no way. And, you know, I stayed in touch and met everyone. And as started to form one by one, I was like, holy shit. It, I don't know if I can cuss, but holy shit. Yeah, you can. It's yeah. happening. He's going to cuss anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and this is real and this is happening in such a cool way. You know, again, so many people gave so much up for the dream of what this company could be and what it has become. Hmm. And that was just so inspiring to me as a manager and somebody where it's such a cutthroat industry and business to say, wow, these people are putting themselves aside and saying, it's not about me. It's not about what I make and my title. It's about how can we create a company that's progressive and is going to be the best servicing company for town in the world. Mm-hmm. And that was something that really drew me in to be a part of it. Well, was it something about, was it about COVID and, and, and not only a show shutdown from the music standpoint, but also on a TV and movie standpoint, at least uh, briefly until, you know, all the protocols were put in place. But um, why did this essentially happen from the top down? Why was it created originally only a short while ago? I, I, I think I can answer that in, in the most concise way. And I think that would be, on the film and TV side, our partners came from these monolithic companies, WME, CAA, UTA, great partners of ours now. Yeah. But those companies, you know, when you're at that company as an agent, you've got so many clients you're servicing. And I think the people on the film and TV side that came over and really started this had this notion of we can do more for our clients if we service them a little bit more precisely. 
And I think we kind of have that same notion on the music side. Mm-hmm. We don't have a huge roster. In fact, like the actual client to employee ratio and partner ratio is really close. We want to service them properly and spend as much time mm. as we can on them. We don't want to pick up hundreds and thousands of clients just to say we represent them. Right, right. Well, yeah, I've talked, I talked to Marshall Betts at TBA, Ken Firmaglitch at UTA, and at least TBA was very much um, a, a result of uh, the shutdown. I mean, they were, they, I think they were music only. So that really made a lot of mm-hmm. sense that things were entirely slowing down. Was that, did that occur with you guys too, Evan? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, okay. I could say definitely speaking for myself, I came from a great management company before, but it was very much a music management company. Mm-hmm. I think now this company allows people like Tyler and I to kind of spread our wings and we're not necessarily pigeonholed as this is your lane, stay in it. There's so many things that excite us as people. I think no, I'm speaking for Tyler and myself, at least yeah. we're creative people that like inspiring and putting out great stuff into the world. And whether that stuff is in the formula one space, the music space, the acting space, this company kind of gives us that ability to spread our wings. Well, what was it about that one moment in time that, that brought this company together? Cause it's such a pivotal moment in the history of entertainment. Tyler, what do you think? I think it was um, just having time. I mean, when we're working, we're just in a million places at once and it's mm-hmm. hard to be present and think creatively of how can we do something differently that we're so accustomed to. So mm-hmm. I think when we all had that time and really space to reflect and to think about our career and how can we even better service the talent we work with. Um, you know, I think that that time off and, and the world shutting down for a bit really gave us a space to say, wait a minute, like things can be done better here and we can be better and we can improve our job and, and our relationship with the talent we work with. And, uh, and range came along at the perfect time. Yeah. So Tyler, where were you before? I had my own company. Um, I started my company out of college. Okay. I was very, very fortunate to have found a great job while I was in school, which led me to me discovering my first management client um, when I was just 21. So that, that was kind par- of party next door. That was party next door. That's, yeah. an, so that, that's an amazing story. I went from touring with Drake my spring semester, my senior year. So it was, it was in February and March. Came back in April. I graduated in May. Of what year? Managing, of 2014. Uh-huh. And was managing party by that like August of, of just after graduating. So it was a really quick turnaround and trajectory oh, yeah. that kind of just sent me on a mission. And so was was really lucky to have found that early and built that relationship. And we work together to this day. Um, so it's really, really been a special one. And okay. so yeah, I have my own company since then. And, and so it's been a real big learning experience for me to have such a great wide team and so many partners when for so long, it was just me making decisions and building things. And I enjoyed it, but um, it's been a whole new challenge and incredible experience working with a, a vast team like ours. Yeah. So you did this when you were at USC. So are we calling it, we're calling, you say party, right? No, I don't say party next door. We call party. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe it's for the uninitiated. Maybe I'll just say party next door, but that's an incredible story. Um, how did you get involved with him uh, or the artist, let's say? Uh, yeah at that time and like, were you, were you, um, uh, representing other artists? And this was like the one that broke, I mean, th- th- it's pretty amazing story. I always say college concert promoting is the gateway drug to the music industry. <laughs> There's probably 90% of the people I meet 
managers or agents or people go, yeah, I was promoting shows in my college and it led me to this or that. In right. which I was, I was helping book shows at USC and we yeah. booked Big Sean for a spring festival in 2013. And I'm backstage and somebody goes, hey, this guy Jamil is here and I think he works with Drake. Like, you should go and meet him. It's like, yeah. well, I, I, I knew who he was relatively and I knew he was involved in the touring side. And so mm-hmm. when I met him, got his email and, you know, long story short, um, he put me on the road that summer with a new developing artist he was managing who's now g Easy. And so he put me on with them really early and I learned the ropes of touring and production. And, you know, at that stage, um, you're selling merch, you're setting up the drums, you yeah, are yeah, yeah. advancing the shows, collecting the money after, and just learned so much from that. And at the end of that tour, there was a couple of Drake shows in Toronto. I got asked to go out and help with, and that kind of started my relationship with that team. Yeah. And right around that time, Drake was starting his record label, uh, OVO sound in which, party was the first artist they signed and i met him pretty shortly after that wow wow that's incredible yeah. dude that's incredible just, dude yeah and all this while i was in school and and still taking midterms and what were your grades? Like? Pretty wild experience. Holy shit, what? What, what were your grades like? <laughs> yeah, really. What were your grades like, dude? Uh, he didn't um, finish. No, I, don't know. I think I finished with like a three point one. My goal is just to like. Did get you just like 3.0. not care at that point? Like I'm just I gonna. Be I really like, didn't. Yeah, I really didn't. I really didn't. Yeah. Wow! Wow! That's insane. So you were that guy on campus. Like, do you? I mean, clearly you feel lucky that you were you you. This just kind of happened. I mean, and uh, not to minimize, obviously your your talent for finding an artist that you believed in and just moving forward what was kind of the chief ingredient at that point was it that oh i met party rapper uh we're getting involved we're, we're booking him at shows um mm-hmm. what was the kind of the element was there an essential element of luck involved i think it was there's a hundred of those stories prior to that one working out that didn't work out. And I yeah, think yeah. it just shows, especially when you're young and at that age and hustling, like you just can't be afraid to fail and people to say no and to laugh mm. at you. And mm-hmm. that's just part of it. And there's people that said no to me that I work with to this day that don't even know I was that kid backstage at the show, trying to get them a demo or something. And that's part of it. I love that. And, and to me, that just drove me more and more. And so you know, it's, it's a hundred of those situations that didn't work out to get to the one that did. And you just can't really ever take that for granted or forget that. Um, yeah, totally. Well, it's like the luck thing. And Evan, you'll be familiar with this. Cause I think this was a, like a golf analogy was, uh, you know, if you ask golfers, God, you really get lucky is like, yeah, well, and, and the more I practice, the luckier I get. That's so true. That's a great phrase. Very much. Right. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, it's like, oh, you're so lucky. Well, fuck you, man. I've been like, I, yeah, just exactly. <laughs> like you, you, you smack me down. You're like, I had a hundred other clients, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're just, you're out there and just doing it. That's, that's so incredibly impressive. And F and you've got this background of, uh, you were in a steel train, right? What, tell me about your musical background. And you know, it's funny. Cause while Tyler was recounting that story, I was like, our backgrounds are so different, but at the same time, so similar because mm. we both touch so many different aspects of the music industry yeah. outside of management. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I was really blessed. Like I grew up with great friends and one of those friends and I started playing music when we were really young. We, we would literally play like our friends bar mitzvah parties and stuff like that. Nice, nice. And then we would play Legion halls and, we were lucky enough to be a part of a really fervent music scene in New Jersey and New York and tri-state area. Mm-hmm. And we got signed when we were 17 or 18. And 
I didn't really go to college. I didn't, I never had that college experience, but we always said we played so many college shows that if you add it all up, we had like a few years. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, sure. That but counts, dude. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I, we were kind of thrown into the fire because we got signed so young that we never really had, um, you know, we had a chance to like get good on stage and get our sea legs, but the mm-hmm. first shows we were doing were warp tour were big tours for 3000 people a night where we drive in a sprinter van from one side of the country to the other, pull up to the show an hour before doors, get on stage and just right. be like, what just happened? <laughs> um, and the, you know, I loved it. I wouldn't take back a minute of it. Um, it's very different from what we're doing now, but those experiences are what I reach to when I, you know, really am in a situation with a client, I think back and I put myself in their shoes and I say, I remember going through this. Here was my experience. Let's talk about that. But it was a really, really, really great part of my life. Um, And I did it for a long time and learned a ton and met a ton of people. And, you know, I I happened into management because a friend of mine who was starting a new band asked Mm -hmm. me if I wanted to play bass in the band. And I said, I don't want to play bass. I want to manage you guys. And at that time, a friend of mine, um, Josh Levine and Brandon Creed were managing Bruno Mars, who was a very young Bruno. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to build a company around him and build out the managers. And I was one of the first managers they brought in. Um, And they really gave me the leeway to kind of pick up a roster of artists that I liked. Started doing that, started developing artists. One thing led to the other. The artists got bigger and bigger. Um, I went with Brandon to full stop when he started that with Irving and Jeffrey and Mm -hmm. started working on Jared Leto over there, picked up a DJ I loved. And next thing next, I'm over here sitting here with this beautiful man below me, Tyler. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I guess um, the key sort of moment was when you moved from performing and touring and gigging and, and, and what have you from a musical performance standpoint into management. Um, what, what was that moment for you and, and what sort of represent, what events kind of led up to that, that made that U-turn or right turner? If I, it's a great question. If I look back, I think myself and one of the other guys in my band, Jack, we were kind of always the business guys. We were always saying, oh, what festival should we play? What artists should we be opening for? Who mm. should we be doing a song with? Whatever it is. Um, so we kind of always had that mentality ingrained in us. And we had so many different managers along the way from Red Light to Network to Danger Bird to all these different companies. And I think I picked up a lot from each of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I learned a really a lot from the experiences. And when I started managing, the wisdom that I would pull from was really largely in part due to the Rolodex that I built while being on the road. Mm. Friends that booked festivals, friends that booked late night shows. So early on in my artist's careers that I was managing, I was lucky enough to kind of pull some rabbits out of hats and get them some big opportunities. Um, The first band I managed, we signed pretty quickly to RCA. But even before that, we got them, their first show ever was on Conan. They did a late night show before they ever played a real show. Oh, wow. Um, and that was because they were making great music, but we were able to get it to the right person's hands. Jim yeah. Taylor. How much was, yeah, go ahead, Tyler. I'll say I'll brag for Evan. He has one of the strongest Rolodexes and it's not a, it, it, it is so genuine, his relationship and friendship with people. Like I, I can't speak enough of it and it, it's to his character and what he's done and what he's experienced out there. And yeah. you know, the artists he works with are so lucky to have him on his team because it's, he, he goes above and beyond truly. 
Yeah, I yeah. Awesome, Evan. That, that um, how Jack to me seems. I don't know him about him a lot. Uh, I don't know a lot about him, um, but he seems to be like that. He's that artist that's not only talented, but kind of like everywhere. Um, and with a lot of hands in different, really interesting creative endeavors, was he instrumental in helping you sort of move forward and with those different types of types of ideas and notions and, you know, creative type of directions that you, where you could take artists, how much was that a factor for you? Absolutely. I mean, he's one of the best people I know, still one of my closest friends, um, I think it really helps when you have a friend that you're in, you know, the trenches with, especially a bandmate, and you're yeah. like, he's always pushing you further and you're always wanting more and in a yeah. good way. I don't mean that in a bad way by any means, but you know, our goals were always really high and we would figure out the map to accomplish them. And I think when you've got a partner and a friend like that, um, it helps you. And I think you end up accomplishing a lot more, whatever that phrase is, shoot for the stars, land on the moon. Right. But um, he's he's an incredible artist, an incredible producer, an incredible marketing mind. A lot of the stuff he's done with Bleachers, I think, is first wave. It's really next level. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll call out one of the things he did. His childhood bedroom in Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey, he took it out on tour and he gave his fans the ability to kind of see the room he grew up in. And that was outside of the venues he played. And that's. I don't know. What, wait, he took the room on tour. So, okay. You're going to throw out that story. You got to talk about that a little bit. I, I'm, this is just from a friend's perspective watching this. He, uh, I think took a trailer and kind of replicated his childhood bedroom <laughs> and gave fans at the shows the ability to kind of walk through it. And it was spot and on. People were, and fans were like into that. Oh yeah. 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 That's so cool. Like it just, yeah. If I was a super fan of somebody, I would like, Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. I'll take a look at that. That's like great. I love, I just love when artists are sharing and doing different things that are obviously like fans. You know, I talk a lot about the fan experience on this show and it's just that connection that fans have with artists. I mean, I'm talking to you guys. It's fucking amazing. It's like just absolutely the thing. Tyler and I were just talking about this. We just, we were, doing something. And a lot of our conversations were about not being too far from the fan experience. Cause I feel like as a manager is it's very easy to separate yourself from the person that buys a ticket to your show. Mm. And I think as long as we can stay close to that experience and understand the fan and consumer perspective, I think that's really important because you never want to get to a place where you're pushing your artist to do something that might be very foreign to the fan, whether it's an expensive ticket you know, playing a venue that might not be right. Um, I'm, I'm really trying to stay close to that. And I've realized that recently. Yeah. It's just such an amazing thing when I, I think that the, the more that artists are open to sharing uh, about themselves and about themselves personally, kind of really creates that bond that you're looking for. Um, I mean, Evan, I, something, you know, I, I read that you did something with the Mets and one of your artists, Max and, uh, talk to me a little bit about that. It's not necessarily from a personal perspective, but um, it's just a, kind of a more of a larger concept of sort of bringing all that together. Uh, that's part of one of my favorite parts about management. It's working with an artist, coming up with an idea, reaching out to someone, making that idea happen on such a grand scale. And that example is a great one. It's also a great example of the ecosystem that we're building at range because it's mm. all about partnership. 
One of Range's partners is the New York Mets. We work on a lot of different things with them. Um, one of our artists, Max, who's an amazing guy, um, was just about to go into a record cycle. And we knew we were going to put out this song. And we were looking for a creative way to launch the song. So we approached Jim Pitt, who's the booker of Jimmy Kimmel. And we said, we have this idea. We want to film this song at City Field. It's a really intimate song, but we want to do it in this big place. And we can't think of a better show to partner with than you guys. Jim, who's a Mets fan, Jimmy Kimmel, who's a Mets fan, absolutely loved the idea mm-hmm. and said, let's do it. We talked to the Mets. They were in. We shot it there and it looked great. Wow. That's amazing. So tell me a little bit about your clients, um, Tyler. Are you are you you're more in the in the rap hip hop world? Um and Phenomenal, yeah. Cl- clearly that's you know, you started out that way and you got involved in that area. Um tell me a little bit about some of the special things that you're doing kind of with your clients right now and 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 how um uh what sort of that direction looks like for you. Yeah, you know, the last two years have affected so many more things than just touring mm-hmm. you know it's it's fans haven't had real experiences yet with their favorite artists for years you know and and we got too accustomed to just saying you know what blow up the song on tiktok and social media and that's enough and that only goes so far for an actual life of a song or a project or the experience and so i'm really focusing on my artists like okay how do we get back to that level of connectivity that you got from touring and seeing your fans in real life and building an experience like Jack did. And so that's been a big focus of, of mine with the artists I'm working with. We have a lot of music coming out uh, in the next couple of months. And so building those real experiences to just get that fan engagement back because everyone just went to their phones and computers even more than was before. Right. Um, and it's important we get that back together. Well, I mean, you're going to detach kids from their phones and social media. So you're sort of, I mean, we're talking just about, yeah, during COVID, it was a great thing because everyone's kind of inside their phones and we're streaming and everything, but that's always going to be part of everything. So there's a positives and negatives. Like, so I guess my question is, what is that detachment that you're talking about? And isn't it all like, you're not really detached. You don't want them to detach there. Everyone's in social media. Now TikTok's the thing. And that's the key is is making sure you're still have an online presence while having great engagement. And so I, I can't say the artist's name, but we have a young, prominent pop artist that we manage. And one of our ideas is to do a really cool, intimate fan event with 100, 150 fans per city. Mm-hmm. We're going to take all phones at entry. We are going to record it. So we're going to take photos and videos and do really cool content that we'll share with them after. But the whole goal right. is for people be present while they're there we know how important it is to share thing with friends and people online so we don't want to take away from that but we just want to bring back engagement so we're actually going to take phones how are you going to get people to show up Uh, come on i mean jack Jack white was the only one that i knew evan happy you know feel free to jump in whenever you want i want i want to definitely include you but like Jack White did this. I don't know who did it, if anyone's ever done it before or since, but so tell me about that. How are you going to get people to come to your shows that like basically the phone's like an extension of their arm? You're giving the tickets away. It's like a, it's like a ticket contest. What's the, these events will be free. So these events are just purely for the fans. It's not for us to monetize anything. So Uh it's important. You make that feel like a fan event. So we're going to make these free and there's be all sorts of fun things there. But again, it's just saying like, let's for an hour live off our phones. Like 
you'll get content to post because we know it's important, but for an hour, let's be present. And the artist is going to do really engaging stuff, like answer questions and allow them to ask questions and do cool things that isn't like so separated. Right. And so, um, you know, if my favorite artist was doing something for a hundred people and I decided to put my phone away for an hour, I would, I've done oh, no, it myself. Totally, I did totally. it for, oh, I'm not I doubting it. I'm just Dave like, Chappelle, yeah. I'm just, I'm just kicking up some dirt dust here. That's I, all. Just Dave to get... Chappelle did a little intimate show with probably 200 people a oh, month nice. ago. And yeah. I had to lock my phone up. And so it's, uh, it's, I, I think it's a, a cool thing. We're seeing more and more of. I like it a lot. Uh, I Evan, love it. You I, I, I got to tell you two experiences that I had. One I shared with Tyler, you know, Tyler and I went to see the Rolling Stones tour opener a couple of weeks ago. And I looked around when they're on stage and yeah. everyone's got their phone up. But then Fucking Saturday amen. night, I went to see Dead & Co, which is kind of the new version of The Grateful Dead. And no one had their phones out. And it was really beautiful. And I looked around, <laughs> no one had their phones yeah. up. And to me, yeah. like, that means you're in the moment. That's totally true. I was just about to talk about how I was at Goose over the weekend in Legend Valley and uh, and in two shows, Legend Valley show and Indie. Um, you know, Evan and I, you you have we have a lot in common. You're you're repping uh, Disco Biscuits. You know all about the jam band community. So I was lots. So I was laughing. What is that? I can't see it. It's not in the camera. Disco Biscuits. Oh, there you go. There it is. I was laughing when you were just saying. Uh, oh, I and, and I was at Dead and Co. That's the newer version of the Dead. I talk about the Dead all the time. <laughs> Dude, come on. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but it's not so, so what I, um, your example of stones versus dead and company doesn't explain the demographic. Um, but it's that being in the moment, it's interesting. Maybe it's different drugs. I, I don't know what it is, but no, what I was saying is that at goose jam, like full on jam band experience, no one's taken video. I mean, I'll take a 15 second video, but people are steeped in the moment. You, you hit the nail on the head. And by the way, when we all grew up going to shows, no one had their phones up. Yeah, no I have. Sure. Yeah, I'm not going to tell the story, but it's an amazing story. <laughs> well, then what? How long is it? <laughs> but that's, that's the difference. Like, I, I do feel like there's different types of music. And, you know, all different types of music bring out all different types of people. And all those people experience things differently. Yeah. You know, you can go to Burning Man and you can go to shows and there's still people holding up phones when you right. think the ghost is living in the moment there. And then you can go see the dead and, and no one's got their phone up, but. Well, so what, what do you, th what do you think is the difference between the experience that stones fans are having and, and what it's, that says about that fan base uh, versus the fan base of dead and co. Let's talk about that example. Just I, here's what, I think. what you said. I think the gooses of the world, the dead and co's of the world and the disco biscuits of the world. Mm -hmm. And to a degree fish, they're creating something in the moment. And that's something that they're creating in the moment it doesn't necessarily travel yeah, well. Right, 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 right. It's like the stones, they're playing satisfaction. I got to get this, but exactly. it's dead. It's like, we're in the middle of a 25 minute Terrapin. Um, I'm going to get this 30 second little vibey thing right here. Yeah, no, people don't give a shit at that point. My favorite moments of the dead shows, obviously I love their canon of music. It's beautiful. Mm. And there's some of my favorite songs of all time, but mm. the moments are the connections between Chimenti and John Mayer when they're trading solos. And like that, that's the stuff that makes the hair on my arm stand up. Me right too. Now, Me too. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. You know, and like, if I go see the, the stones who were amazing and unbelievable, they're still playing the song that, you know, which is a great feeling, but it's yeah. different than yeah. watching something created by a chef right. or a, Going yeah. going for the jam feel well and that, that yeah that level of musicianship brings uh, a different fan looking for a different type of experience. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well 
Um, Tyler, so okay, let's go back to the the fan experiences that you're that you're creating. So, um, what is kind of tell me a little bit about what you feel your fan base is that you're looking at, and what are they looking for? Because clearly, it's different than what a jam band yeah. community to just talk about. Uh, you know, Evans Disco Biscuits. And it's tough, you know, a lot of my artists that I work with have pretty young demographics, I would say in the 18 to 30 year range Mm -hmm. um, across most of my acts. And it's tough because it's the quickest moving revolving door of artists and songs and TikTok and and it just moves so, so quickly that um, artists are now required and and it's tough, you know, us as managers, we have a really difficult time, at least I do, and I've, some have spoken of the same, we have a really difficult time balancing an artist being active on social media. And it's like, at what point are we just like taken away from them as an artist and, and their creativity? And it's tough. We want our artists to be successful and so do they. And we see what it takes for some of these acts to get to that level. But it's, you know, it's becoming such a fast revolving door and you know, we're seeing so many artists that could blow out tours pre-pandemic that are putting them out and having to drop them or severely scale down because it's just such a different and quick, like I said, demographic now. And so one of the things I really find myself balancing on the touring end is, okay, how do we grow, how do we grow our act touring business now that we're in this new world of, of music and, and the pandemic and touring? Uh, while also managing all the risks associated because just because somebody could sell 5,000 tickets um, in Denver pre-pandemic, it does not mean that anymore. And so um, we're, we just have to get really creative with our marketing and promoting records and what sort of engagements and how we package tours has become a big thing for a lot of artists I work with is creative packaging. I'd rather them come out the gate if they haven't toured in three years and a really great package and rooms we know we can blow out and that way we can evaluate a bit better where they're at. Because um, mm-hmm. you truly don't know until you put it to up for sale. Yeah, You yeah. can put up, you know, you really, really don't know. And so I would rather us blow out rooms and have great packages and offer a unique experience. And then we can adjust after that tour versus putting up a tour, you know, being at 30% and we're sitting there looking like, damn, what do we do now? Yeah, well, how much of a feel did you get during... D- d- uh, let me, let me phrase that again. Um, did a lot of your artists stream and do other things for fan engagement during the show shutdown? In terms of like live show streams? Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I, I, guess, I guess I was curious because you're talking about not really knowing if you're going to be able to go to a particular size room or what type of tour you want to do. Um, at this point, um, don't you kind of have an idea of what, the demand is out there for an artist or, and I don't mean that any sort of way, except that, um, weren't your, were your artists active during the show shutdown, uh, creating their own fan engagement from their own, uh, you know, from on their own, basically. Um, I would say it's pretty 50, 50 max. I had some that kind of just went away to go create and work on music. And, Uh um, you know, have some that also can have the luxury of doing that and knowing that their fan base is pretty cemented and they're going to be waiting for when they do something next. And then I have some that were really active and did live stream shows and did all that. But 
Um, one of the difficulties we're seeing in touring now is just how many shows are out there. Um, kids have options every night of the oh week God, to go to a show. Incredible. It's incredible. And only have so much they can afford or so many shows they could attend. And so you're out there battling every other artist that it was so eager to get on the road. And so it may not even be that people don't want to go to the show. It's just that there's... Yeah, there's just so much competition out there. And there's so much competition. Yeah, yeah. so how, how do you balance that? How do you, uh, you know? I'd love to touch on that because Tyler yeah, said yeah, that. Yeah. You said that so well, and this is something I've been thinking about a lot because from a stadium act to an arena act to a theater act to a club act, I think because there is so many options for fans, you know, all these shows are going to suffer a little bit from the top down. And like yeah. we've seen from acts that play stadiums to other acts, the tickets this time are less than what they did last time. But mm-hmm. there's still so many people coming out. And I think that's kind of a beautiful thing right now, even in a recession, even in an economic downfall period right now, people are still going to shows. People are, I go to the movies. People are still going to the movies, you know, but <laughs> the point that Tyler raised earlier is, is one that we've discussed so much in conversation, both with us, but also with our partners and friends. It's such a unique time in the music industry. And it's so different than it was three years ago. And it's like a prehistoric age of difference from five years ago. Yeah. So much of it is about having a song react before the song even comes out. And if you don't have that momentum going into the song's release, you're almost saying, oh man, we're starting from a backwards place here. So we're trying to get creative and we're trying to suggest things outside of the TikTok side, because I think that can get really stale for artists to hear TikTok, 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 which doesn't necessarily work for every artist. I I doubt the Grateful Dead have a TikTok. I can't even imagine what it would be filled with, but you know, for pop artists, for urban artists, for younger artists, I think it is a really important thing. And I think it's also about staying genuine to who that artist is and them feeling like it's their voice going through it. But I've watched Tyler operate and it's really beautiful because I feel like the way he works with his clients is very much trying to amplify their voices rather than telling them what to say. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, um, there's so much involved in getting that artist, understanding you know, who they're talking to, what they want to say, um, what direction they're going to go in. And there's so many different factors. Um, what's some of the biggest challenges that you're facing right now? You have your, your, your artist lineup is a little bit different than Tyler's in terms of direction. Um, is there something that's, that's really kind of a key thing that you're focusing on right now? My biggest goal going into this year was making sure that if we have an artist playing in a town, every fan of theirs that is in that town at least knows that they're there and has the option of going Mm. this weekend alone. Tomorrow I leave for Toronto walk off the earth is playing their hometown amphitheater. And then the next day I go to Philadelphia, the Bisco disco biscuits are doing two nights at their hometown amphitheater Mm -hmm. and then walk off the earth is playing Carnegie hall two days later. So we have so many big tent pole events and so many options for fans to go. But like Tyler said, there's five shows in New York this week, seven shows in Philly, seven shows in Toronto fans, can't necessarily be spending $400 a week on shows, just going and going and going. So I think for us, it's about making the show as fun and creative and unique as possible. So the fan truly thinks like, I have to be there because I want to be there, but also this isn't going to happen again. And I think a lot of that is, is on the artists. You know, they have to come up with these creative ideas at the same time as marketing the shows through their socials, which is another tough thing. But um, for me, my biggest goal this year was making sure that our tour marketing side was really strong. 
and that we were reaching fans across all genres, across all avenues, making sure that if you're a fan of Party Next Door and Party's doing a show somewhere, that fan in that market knows they have the ability to go. Such a good point because, so real quick, I'll just say that so many times a tour doesn't sell not because an artist can't do those numbers, it's because people just don't know. And there's so much information online these days that we as managers have to be so persistent in making sure the promoters are doing their job the artists are doing our jobs. We're doing our jobs that every fan that could and would want to go to the show knows about it. Yeah. What are some of the best ways that you find to do that? I mean, obviously social media is, but then you're subject to the algorithm. And so uh, what I'm hearing is that there is a challenge in getting that out. I mean, I personally am always on top of like, if I have 10 favorite artists, I know exactly what they're doing at any one. I mean, it's what I do mm-hmm. anyway. So yeah, I'm not a good example, but I know others that are not in the media business and are just fans and they're just, you know, they're on top of it. But how do you, so, you know, that's the 10% of people that you know, we're going, what about the other 90%? What are the best ways to do that? I think for us, it's about having long lead time from on sale and announced to when the show actually happens mm-hmm. so that we give ourselves the best chance of going wide. And you have the opportunity if you're a fan in Toronto, they found out this show was happening seven months ago. Yeah. So basically we reach them via email. We reach them via targeted posts. We reach them via social media. Um, you know, a lot of the time Spotify has a great tool now. Oh yeah. What, what is that? Sales, yeah. Uh, they, what is that on Spotify? Where they have an exclusive pre-sale day. Um, and it gives fans of that band who follow them on Spotify or artists to go see the show. But one other thing that we've been doing is just getting creative. We're partnering with sports teams in markets to essentially utilize their reach and go that route. Um, we partner with radio stations to go that route as well. Um, we've got our partners giving us physical billboards in some markets for shows, which is always exciting and fun for the client. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You really have to think of it per territory. That's, a, that's always not, a, se- that's a sexy picture, right, Evan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it's not like we have this one big tour. It's no, we have 32 individual shows in these cities and you really have to think of it. Like, what are we doing per territory? Interesting. Interesting. Um, wow. It's like a whole other world of, uh, I follow so many bands that are just like so much smaller. They're not thinking about doing billboards and just that, that notion. (laughs) But so I guess that begs the question, the bigger rooms, the more, you know, the more nervousness and the more you guys have to work to get the word out to fill those rooms. But Evan, to your point, um, you know, you're looking at stadiums, arenas, uh, you know, theaters, bar or, or, you know, smaller clubs. Was there ever a notion? Do you guys ever think like, okay, we're going to lower the bar. We're not doing stadium. We're doing like, uh, arenas or, you know, do you ever just kind of take that down? Because there are just so many, the, the competition is so high and there are so many different choices. When do you just reduce the number of seats and tickets that are available? I, I think Tyler was kind of touching on that earlier in terms uh-huh. of like, doing an underplay because there's so much traffic, right T? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think for the artists you were, you know, it's every artist is different. Some artists might be like, I can only do two tours a year and they have to make sure they reach as many fans as possible. Other, other artists are like, I love touring. I want to be on the road every other week. And you can do creative things where you can go to a city and do a small show and then a big show, or you could do three small shows and charge different ticket prices. Interesting. Interesting. Um, 
is there a difference in that that venue? What's the venue size uh, kind of math and equation for you, Tyler, with your artists? Um, in in I would, that, because I, I just I, don't know a lot about that world, so I'm curious, like, what yeah. is kind of the thinking of that in that world, like, you know, clubs versus theaters, etc. I don't know if I have necessarily an equation. Um, what I noticed working in, I would say specifically hip hop, is that a lot of acts don't build a hard ticket business, and because you know, if you could go do a club and pick up forty thousand dollars in cash to go perform for 20 minutes with no production, they're going to go, wait, why would I then go tour these four shows and have to do this and pay all these people. And so it's so important for me that from the beginning, we teach artists that we work with how important that is because that translates to your festival offers that translates to international business and so many other things that it's so much bigger than just that individual show. And so it's just, you know, you have to start from the beginning and you brick by brick and you can't skip a step. And so, I don't know if there's necessarily a formula because, you know, once you do the 400 caps, then you go to the eight to thousand caps and you go to the 2000, it's like, you know, you're taking the steps and you can see and feel the growth versus like an, an actual like equation we have. I, I wouldn't say we really. Yeah. You know, I guess the equation, it was sort of like a kind of a general notion as to what your thinking is on that. Yeah. 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 How you yeah. Kind of Hopefully that answer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Evan, so since you have one foot or maybe both feet in uh, in the jam band community, um, how and 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 Tyler's clearly focused on hip hop. Not that you're not, but and you know you guys cross over a bunch. But um, what do you learn from being at a major management company uh, that um, that represents artists in other genres? What do you bring from other genres to the biscuits, for example? That's a great question. I, I'm lucky in that my roster, the clients that I oversee with my department is very diverse because mm-hmm. I have pop artists and I have top liners and I have bands that are rock bands outside of the jam thing. Mm-hmm. I don't have any hip hop acts. And, you know, Tyler and I have been friends for a while now, and I've been really lucky enough to learn a lot from him about mm-hmm. that space. Um, I think what's interesting about at least the jam band community, and I, again, I only have one act in that world, but they yeah. are one of the pillars of it yeah that's at least i was lucky enough to grow up in that scene and that was one of the communities that i was a part of so i cherish it the fact that i get to work with a band like them nowadays is a blessing to me because it's kind of like a coming home to some degree um what i love about that community in particular is that there is an appreciation for the moment there is a collectible mentality in the sense of you know, we make unique posters for every show. I love that art aspect to it. Yeah. I love, you know, the fact that we could do, we can fill an entire museum with all of the posters that they've done. Um, I love the thought that's put into everything from the aesthetic of the ticket to the new merch at each show to, you know, how much time the bands put into walking the tightrope that they do when they're on stage. Cause they're not playing satisfaction three minutes and then, out of time for three minutes they're playing eight minute versions of one song segueing into the next song an inverted version of it that to me is really cool to watch and i, I stand on the side of the stage in awe watching these guys um but i have that appreciation for every artist that i work with because it's not easy to be an artist like tyler touched on this earlier today or just now really and earlier today it, you have to wear so many hats you know you have to create in the studio you have to create the campaign that you're going to go out with, you have to do stuff that's outside your comfort zone. 
you have to be an influencer to some degree and mm. kind of push your audience in a direction that's different than the last album cycle. Um, but, you know, we're lucky enough to be sitting in these seats right now and participating in this world. So I'm, I feel very blessed. Yeah. So Tyler, on the flip side, are you ever jealous that Evan gets to work in this jam band community where there's this so much emphasis on aesthetic and these tiny little details and they give less of a shit about like social media? I mean, you know, to just kind of broad stroke it, Evan, I know you're like shaking your head. The, the you, grass you know I mean? is always greener on the other side. <laughs> yeah, there's right. times where Evan is like, I can't believe you guys just did this in this little time. And <laughs> And I'm like, I can't believe you got the guys that agreed to 150 days of touring because I get like 40 a year. Um, so there's always that. And that's kind of the cool thing of us working yeah, together. Totally. To it's really a great combo, man. And, it's a great combo. And, and find out how do we continue to evolve artists and, and their careers and grow it more and more. And, um, you know, we have acts of country. We have international DJs. We have singer-songwriters. We have pop artists and hip-hop and R&B and 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 touring bands we have almost every genre it feels like music at this point at mm. the company and so that information is just flowing everywhere and we're all ingesting that and saying like oh wow i didn't think of touring my artists this way i didn't think of them going into this market and we just get to all share that information it's so powerful i want to i want to jump on that and piggyback on that because yeah. I do think that's one of the things that separates us as a management company. Mm -hmm. Tyler, myself, our other partners, the flow of information is unreal. And mm. it's from department to department, film and TV to music to Web3, now to sports. But even more so, internally on the music side, we're always talking. We're always trying to figure out how we can be helping each other. And that's really rare at, from management companies that represent clients of this kind of stature. Interesting. So what, Evan, can you give me an example of that kind of level, a cool example of that level of like cross pollination where you've learned something from like, and brought something from like to one band from a completely diverse other genre? Yeah. I mean, this happened the other day. We had a client who was supposed to do a very prominent uh, TV appearance and that client had to pull out for a reason. And we had a quick conversation internally with a few of us and we were able to pivot that to a different client of ours. Mm -hmm. um, that kind of share of information just rarely happens um, at other companies and, and it gives our artists an edge, I think. But also, you know, because we've got this amazing film and TV department with top notch actors, directors and showrunners, we're able to get the clients that we have. We're able to get their songs to those people early. And that gives those songs such an amazing podium when the songs come out or even before. Because yeah. you, you, you were talking about this earlier, like, you know. Right now, Kate Bush has the biggest song in the world, and that's because of a sync from Stranger Things. As managers, Tyler and I are always looking for those opportunities to put those songs in spots like that. And okay. having partners that are so good at their jobs on that side allows us to be even better at our jobs on oh, this Oh, that's side. cool. That's something I totally didn't think about. Thanks for bringing that up, man, because that's like the that that's that's sort of a secret sauce of being at a company that's not only dealing with entertainment, television, and music is that type of cross-pollination. So if you, like, I, I know nothing about this, but uh, a, a little bit. Uh, <laughs> so if you have a TV show, can you talk to the music producers of that show or whatever that whatever that title is and kind of are you in communication with them and you're like oh no i know these you know one of my clients this is a great song you got to check this out we've got an incredible head of sync right now who helps us she's kind of the conduit between both sides mm -hmm. but you know from years of doing this on this side 
having those relationships with music supervisors is really key yeah. and having them be aware of the artists you're working with us having the ability to go straight to the showrunner and creator is an amazing edge because they're in, they're just like the artists that we were talking about. They're wearing so many hats where right. they're not only thinking about this episode or next season or the entire series anth- anthology, but they're thinking about that scene. And what's the best movie moments that you go to? It's when music oh, yeah. and together. Almost famous and, on the bus with a tiny dancer. I mean, hands exactly. down. Exactly. <laughs> we've, we've been lucky enough to work with a number of artists over the last couple of years that have gotten really big looks because of that edge. Tyler. Uh, your involvement in the nonprofit world, I'm really intrigued with, um, you, um, you're involved in the black music action coalition and, uh, and thinking huts, which whose mission is to increase global access to education by building 3d printed schools. Come on, it's a man. real thing. And like, was this like, not, were you trying to fool me thing. into like calling that out? Because like, what? I'm sorry, what? I did not know it was a real thing until I met them. But um, yeah, you know, I've, I, you know, through our travels, we have so much time to reflect and to think and be at ourselves. And, you know, we, we get to see, you know, Evan and I were in Cannes in Monaco two weeks ago, and then he got to go play golf at the oldest golf course in the world in Scotland. and. Um, we, we, we work damn hard for our jobs and what we do in our lives, but we're also so fortunate to even be in a spot to where this is an opportunity. And the more places we travel to, the more places we meet, um, you know, I, I get so much perspective on the world out there and, Mm. um, just how good we've had it. And Evan and I didn't grow up privileged, you know, by any means other than, you know, we had great families and supportive parents and we had access to education and, and, while that seems so common to us, um, for most of the world, it's not. Uh, they don't have access to education or clean food or water or don't have families or grow up in tough neighborhoods. And um, you just realize how many people have the odds stacked up against them. And I don't know about everyone else, but I just can't go my life with just taking from what it has to you know, offer. I, I really want to try to spread as much as I can out there. And over the break, over over COVID, really gave me that perspective. I always wanted to, and always said I'd get to it later in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of other people with that right mentality, um, but just are busy with life. And I get it. I, I was that person for so long. And once COVID happened, and so many, you know, the Black Lives Matters happened, and all these things, I said, you know what? Like I'm going to schedule these things in my weekly calendar, just like I schedule important meetings, just like I schedule going to the gym or playing golf, like these need to be priorities in my life and I have to figure out how I can play my part and how that'll grow. And so these were two that I got involved in out of a few other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I got really into triathlon and marathon training over COVID. And so as I was telling friends and family and it just got so much attention of my small circle that I was like, it'd be a really cool opportunity to raise money for something. Um, another cool part about range is one of our co-founders and managing partners is, an incredible woman named Rachel Kropa that has ran some of the most successful uh, talent-driven nonprofits around the world. And she works with the biggest companies on their initiatives towards this exactly. And I called her up one day and I said, hey, listen, I'm looking to raise money through this marathon I'm training for. Um, Is there a cool young nonprofit that is doing something in the education or health space that, you know, I, that 
isn't one of the, you know, isn't the Red Cross or the Children's Hospital, which are obviously so amazing in what they do, right. but really needs the help of early stage fundraising. Yeah. And she introduced me to Thinking Huts, which is started by this young, incredible student named Maggie Brout, who's from, went to Yale. Um, and her and her team developed these 3D printers that could build schools. And she laid out their plan for how to get the resources and how they staff locally and their plan to grow it. And, you know, it's, uh, it's a huge lift in the beginning to get the printers developed and get them out to Africa and these other continents. But once they're there, they can just build schools by the hundreds with these resource with such a small amount of resources. And so um, we just got behind them. We were able to help them raise some money. I joined the board recently. Uh, we we're helping them with their first gala this September, uh, which is going to take place in New York. And it's just been, um, it's really amazing. And, 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 what I've seen by just spreading that out there, I, I get a lot of calls from people saying, you know what? I always wanted to do these things. I just always found every excuse and like, thank you for this. And, and that like means so much to me. Um, you know, what we do obviously in the workspace is amazing, but uh, you, you feel like you're actually making an impact that way. Well, okay. <clears throat> so can you distill like 3d printing down and like explain <laughs> like what the fuck? <laughs> They use a lot. So most of the resources they use are, are renewable resources that are recycled resources from a number of areas. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes about 70% of the resources that normal construction does. And um, I, I think it's like most construction can take anywhere from four to seven, eight months on a lot of these buildings. And they're doing it in, in two weeks. Um, they're able to build and put up these schools. And it's right. just, it's so cool to see what they're doing. I, I, um, I don't want to butcher the science and technology. Of yeah, it just sounds super, um, super, um, super science fiction. But wait, but you're running a triathlon and you're gaining um, sponsors for that to, to donate money, uh, you know, based yeah. upon your successful completion of the triathlon, which, which I would I never did. I did. I did my first. Oh, you've Iron done this already. November. You did an Ironman, dude? Yeah. I did last November, yeah. And, and Evan's walking around a golf course, and you're doing like <laughs> Iron Man. It, so, it was so impressive watching him do it, training all the way up to the actual race, and he finished. I mean, I'm in awe. I vlogged the whole thing too. It's on my Instagram, so I, I like documented the whole thing, oh, and shit. it was it's a life experience. You That's go through great. that, and you feel like That's great. So you raised you a bunch of so, yeah, totally. So you raised a bunch of money for this. That's really that's really wonderful. Um, uh, so what's, when's the next triathlon and is the, is, are you going to continue to support this same organization? Um, yes, yeah, so I'm on the board. So we're helping with a number of things. Um, I have a meeting with them this Saturday. No, no, no races in the, in the near future. Um, I'm actually a golfer as well and I'm trying to get my game back. So mm. there, there's, I'm putting a bit more focus on my golf game. So Evan doesn't run away with I this. Would I think lo- he beat, I would love I think he to beat me the golf. last time we played. So. I would, I would love to get back into golf. I used to play it a ton in high school in LA. There's so many different public courses and there was like a little pitch yeah. and putt, you know, like on Ventura Boulevard, there's a, like a, a you know, like a three par or 20, what, what do they Weddings, call it? Yeah. Yeah. Weddington. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I used to play that. That was like in studio city. It was right near my house. We used to just hop the fence and go play a couple holes. <laughs> it's a member at a course that's five minutes from our houses and, uh, and it's the best thing. So we go all the time. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's like an elite sport, but you know, it's like, but you know, I think, you know, what's funny. I actually, I don't see it as an elite sport because it's the only sport where I can on Saturday watch golf on my television. Yeah. 
And then the next day I could actually play that same course. You can't do that with basketball. You can't go to Madison square garden and shoot around. You can't do that with football. You can't go to Gillette stadium and throw the football. You can do that with golf. There's so many public courses. It allows anyone, you know, whether you're a toll booth worker or the president to kind of play. Uh, yeah, true. That's, that's an interesting point. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, yeah, you can go to that particular course. golf is a trigger uh, word at our company. Okay, by the sure, way. sure, the I'll golf buy that. Is a trigger word at our company. We have a we have like a golf is swear. It? Yeah, it's kind of triggering. That every time Evan and I bring up golf, oh, we gotta we gotta put a couple bucks in this in this bucket. Right, except basketball, I can watch them play on TV, and I can go to like the corner or like in yeah. my backyard and just shoot. Like golf takes up a lot of space in a lot of, time, a lot of yeah. urban areas. It uses a lot of water. Uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of arguments against golf, but I, I also, I've also played and it is, it's, it's fun to do. It's a fun recreational activity. Uh, Evan, have you seen a trend with artists that are donating or, you know, doing benefits for different types of organizations? I love it. It's one of my favorite things. And I feel like, you know, the onus is on people like Tyler and I to always be bringing them opportunities like that and also kind of prompting them to say, what are the causes that are yeah. important to you? Because at the end of the day, these people have platforms and if they use their platform for good, that's the best thing that we can do. You know, whether it's obviously like creating music makes people feel good. But one of my favorite things is seeing our artists go to children's hospitals, seeing our artists perform at um you know, really cool galas that are raising money for causes. Um, Tyler and I both sit on different boards and try to raise awareness for those causes and raise money for those causes on our own. But when we can get our artists to work with them, it's even better. Do you suggest that to artists or do they come to you? Like how often, what's the kind of mix there? Like, are you pushing it down their throats? No, I'm kidding. I mean, are you like, you know, suggesting to them, hey, maybe this is something you might want to think about? I think it's both. It's Mm. definitely like a healthy mix of both. I think because we're at the nexus of a lot of these great opportunities that can help people, we bring a lot of them to our clients and not every one of them works out because our clients are busy. They're on the road a lot um, or in the studio. So not every opportunity for them to perform would work, but when they can, it's really good. And during the pandemic, there were a lot of those because of live streams. So they were able to do stuff from their homes that would help people day after day. Yeah, totally. Um, Bigger picture question for both of you guys. Um, So we are, and we've talked about this during this conversation, we're at such a pivotal moment. You know, we've been at this pivotal moment. We're all pivoting. We're all pivoting in a ton of different directions, right? There are so many bands out there. There are so many shows. There are are so many uh, choices for fans. Ticket prices are going up. Um, Really big picture question. Are we at a moment that is just really explosive and expansive in this industry. And it's going to contract a little bit because obviously there's so many artists that want to be on the road right now because they've been off the road. So there's so much competition for that ticket dollar right now. Is this a trend that's going to, are we just kind of plateauing at like a place where there's just more competition for bands getting out there, ticket prices, um, venues, et cetera, or is that going to contract slightly? I don't necessarily mean in a bad way, but in a way that would also give more opportunity for fans to spend less money, but see more of the bands that they want or, and there'll be fewer bands that are on the road, which doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing is a bad thing because there are just so many different bands out there. Like, 
is it going to contract? Is it going to change? Where do you see this? I mean, in the fall or even next summer? What I would say is right now, because gas prices are so high, I have seen artists raising ticket prices. But from watching the landscape of the market, if I look at every show in a Live Nation amphitheater this summer or every festival, it's not historically higher. It's not like $10 higher than the last time they played the market. And I think it's, again, like on people like Tyler and I, when an agent brings us an offer from a promoter, we have to make sure that we're not outpricing our fans. And again, that's like, it's up to us to kind of make sure we don't lose that perspective of being a fan, of buying a ticket. I went to go see a very large band recently and I paid a good amount for the ticket. It was a really good seat. I paid a lot of money for a parking lot. It was $50 and I paid $25 a drink and $22 for like a little pizza. And I realized, wow, you know, this is me and someone else going to this show and it's a $300 experience just for two of us. What if I'm a parent that wants to take three of their kids to a walk off the earth show? Are they going to spend a thousand dollars for one night or just go to the movies where it's $80, you know? And, and I think for us, we kind of have to maintain that perspective and we push our prices down. Sometimes promoters come to us and say, we want to charge $40. And we say, you know what? The most we're willing to go is 30 because we know there's other fees added onto that. And we know there's other ticket concession things that they add. Yeah. Coming out of the pandemic, I've tried to take a more conservative approach to say, you know, again, I'd rather go out with a little bit less tickets than, um, you know, if we know we could sell out 2,500, it's like, okay, maybe we do an 1800 cap room just to be comfortable and, and to make sure that I'd rather have a sold out tour and come out strong um, and build that confidence back up versus overestimate what we can do. So I, I've, I would say in this last year, taken a bit more of a conservative approach when it comes to the size of rooms we're doing. Yeah. I mean, are, are there going to be fewer bands that are on the road? Uh, where do you see kind of artists kind of like right now is the time to be out on the road or, or, or in the spring? Is that influx of artists being out there at the same time going to continue? I think so, because I don't think this is a symptom of like artists being hesitant to announce tours before because of COVID regulations. But I honestly think this is just you're putting out so much music. You want to promote that music. Artists love playing shows. Fans love being at the shows. So you're going to be on tour three times a year if you're an artist. And some of those times are a month over a month, a month, a month. And that's going to overlap with so many tours. If you look at the month of October right now, Mm -hmm. I'm seeing so many tours, but we're still putting up tours during that time. Interesting. It's definitely dynamic and changing, but it's all good because it's all amazing music. And I love, I love what you guys do. And you guys, uh, you know, you guys are cool. You know, it's clearly, you guys have a good partnership. You guys obviously get along and, uh, and range media, man. I guess it's the, it's the place to be, right? Thank you for having us, dude. This was awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming. This is on so the, much fun. Thanks. For, thanks so much for coming on the show, guys. I really, really appreciate it. Really enjoy talking to you and hearing, hearing, uh, hearing your perspective on all this. You guys come from such different places and have different focuses. And uh, uh, it's just uh, really informative. And I wish you guys the best of luck, man. We loved your question. Thanks so much, Josh. I'm, I'm so happy we did this, really. Yeah, me too. Thanks. Thanks, Evan. Thanks, Tyler. Talk to you soon. Take care, you guys. Cheers. Bye. That was Range Media Partners, Tyler Henry, 
and Evan Winokur, both managing partners at Range Media. Was so happy to have those guys here. Uh, it was a really fun conversation. I was so glad that they were able to uh, talk directly to one another. And I kind of just sort of took a back seat sometimes. And, you know, Evan wanted to jump in. It was really, really fun and interactive. I, I, I super enjoyed that interview. Um, you know, sometimes the three-way interview can be cha- challenging. This was, a, this was a breeze. These guys are just super pros. Uh, they're pros at what they do. Uh, they do just some amazing things. Uh, the way they get creative with the representation of their artists and um, having to juggle so many different needs of artists. The one thing that struck me was that, you know, Evan's looking at Disco Biscuits who probably do hundreds of shows a year and uh, and Tyler's like, you know, trying to get guys out the door to do 40 shows a year. So there's so many different types of variables and so many different forces that are pulling in different directions. And it was so interesting, like I said at the top, to have both Evan and Tyler here who, who represent um, different artists in so many different, in different genres and see what the the similarities are from genre to genre. I love that. I mean, if you listen to Roadcase, you know that I have certain lanes that I um, that I follow uh, primarily, but I really enjoy looking at lanes that I don't look at, like rapper, hip hops. You know, I want these I want these artists on the show. I want to learn about about that um, about that genre as well. And it's so interesting to see the similarities and what it takes to get artists out on the road and uh, how they're facing challenges with respect to uh, fan experiences and how they want to be super immersive with that. And, you know, they talked about not being ever too far from the fan experience from their standpoint and how they're, um, they're guiding their artists from a management perspective. And, you know, they're very cognizant of that. They're fighting for fan dollars. Evan was very clear and made the point that, you know, it's really expensive for people to go to shows today. Um, and you know, with so many, they're, they're competing for a specific amount of fan dollars and they're trying to keep the prices down. And um, and they're cognizant that they have individuals that um, are spending a lot of money and they want to make sure that they make sure that that fan experience is really uh optimal. Um, I really enjoyed talking about this cross-pollination within the company, like Range Media Partners looks at entertainment, TV, music, um, and it was really interesting to to talk about that and hear how, you know, from a music supervision standpoint, those that place music in TV shows, for example, that they could take from different artists that Evan or Tyler represent as well, and songs may be placed in TV, and all that kind of cross-pollination is, is super interesting, and at Range Media Partners, they kind of cover the whole panoply of the uh, of the entertainment business, and I was so happy to have these two guys here that are in the music division. Uh, and um, Tyler and Evan are just rock stars in their own right. They're just super super guys, and I was really happy to have them on the show. I'm really glad that everyone was here for this episode. Thanks so much for being here for this episode of Roadcase. And I want to send a special thank you to Tyler Henry and Evan Winokur of Range Media Partners for being here on this episode of Roadcase. Thanks again so much for listening. And I'd like to encourage everyone to get involved with Roadcase. You can do so in a number of different ways. You can email me at info at roadcasepod.com with questions, comments, and even suggestions for guests. 
Or you can follow us on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at RoadcasePod. And we have a YouTube channel called Roadcase Podcast. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. And if you could please rate and review the podcast while you're there, that would be great. So I want to thank Waltzer for this awesome theme music that we have. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to Roadcase. We have a lot of great episodes coming up, so I'll see you on down the road. <laughs>